a special episode of the Ringer NBA show. My name is Chris Ryan, and today I am joined by Ben Dietrich. Ben wrote a story for the Ringer yesterday, which you may have heard about. It is called The Curious Case of Brian Colangelo and the Secret Twitter Account. Ben and I have been working on this story for a really long time. He brought it to me earlier this year, uh, and we kicked it around for months on end. And then in, in the last two weeks, it really heated up. What the story says... Gosh, well, where to start? <laughs> what the story essentially says is there are some weird behaviors by some very odd Twitter accounts, and that we think at The Ringer that we see some similarities between these Twitter accounts. And one of these Twitter accounts, after we approached the Sixers last week, has been confirmed to belong to Sixers team president, Brian Colangelo. And since then, a lot of people have drawn their own conclusions. But what Ben does in his piece that I think is excellent, and you should obviously read if you haven't read it already, is basically lay out this huge case for how these Twitter accounts have been operating over the last few years, which happened to coincide with Brian Colangelo's time with the Philadelphia 76ers. And some of the things that these accounts have done is engage in critiquing players like Joel Embiid, Jaleel, Jaleel Okafor, Nerlens Noel. They have critiqued the past Sixers regime of Sam Hinkie, who Colangelo replaced as basically the basketball decision maker at the franchise, as well as Toronto Raptors president Masai Ujiri, who Colangelo was in turn replaced by in Toronto. Uh, it also talks in detail about a trade that would become the trade for uh, Markel Fultz, for the number one pick that would become Markel Fultz. And perhaps most alarmingly, there is disclosure of information relating to Jaleel Okafor and a possible failed physical that may have scuttled a trade in the 2016-17 season for the former Duke big man, Jaleel Okafor. Okay, so that's, that's the basics. And now I have Ben with me. And Ben and I are going to talk about how this story came about and where we kind of go from here. So Ben, what I wanted to ask you first, because this story, like all great stories, has a great origin. Tell me about how this story first came to you. Uh, well, first, Chris, thanks to everyone um, at The Ringer, yourself, and, and everyone on the editorial side who, who helped put this story in motion and, and kind of shepherded it through to where it is now. And also my buddy, Andrew Quo, who helped me uh, sift through a lot of data early on when I was going through piles and piles of tweets and had no idea what was really on my hands. But the story first came when I got a DM on Instagram, and I got one also on Twitter, so I'm just going to say Twitter, but it was the same in both, by an account that only followed one person, and that person was me. And they said, I have a scoop. Would you be interested? And I said, yes. And it's funny because right before I got on air here, I noticed that people have found his tweet to me and are like wildly retweeting it now that going back toward, to, uh, I think it was January like 31st when he first contacted me and said he wanted to uh, DM me about the story. So he said, follow me back so I can DM you, right? Exactly. So, so then, you know, he sent me an email and he, and he laid out this, this, uh, this, this case. And, you know, what we've presented to people is, more or less the case that he brought to me, we've just dug in and, and went far more granular and did a lot of legwork. But, you know, all credit to this guy, it, you know, he came forward with these accounts 
and here we are months later, and one of them has been acknowledged, and the other four, there's some compelling evidence that points towards certain people. And, you know, I mean, just a lot of credit to that guy, I guess, is what I'm saying. What are you comfortable telling us about the source? I think I understand more about his motivations than I do who he is. Gotcha. He told me he worked in artificial intelligence, and he was, he was cagey about a lot of things. Um, I, I, my general thing is that he's a Sixers fan in, and he was not a supporter of the Colangelo tenure. He said, these guys are ruining the Sixers. Um, I think I've found this, these accounts, this evidence, and I think we should write a story on them. Uh, he discussed taking it to Reddit initially and said he was down to do a, a sort of a data dump and expose them and have people dig through them. But he wanted a real story and, and versus just having it combed through online. And I'm, I'm just fortunate that he did that. Now, uh, listeners who are not familiar with the minutia of Sixers fandom, it may surprise some people to learn that there are any people out there like this. But one of the strangest things about this story was that I was not shocked at all that someone came to Ben with this this idea, just because uh, I am very familiar with the 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 mindset of a Sixers fan. I am a Sixers fan, full disclosure, but more so, I'm aware of how the Sixers fan base over the years is, uh, let's say, educated to the point of driving themselves crazy. Is that I think that would be a fair way to put it. They are as intimately involved <laughs> with the minutia and the day-to-day workings of an entire NBA franchise, not just what they see on the court, but the pick protections and the pick swaps and the cap space. And are we going to bring Jonah Bolden back from Europe ever? And uh, these, these, uh, these things that maybe the casual NBA fan is just like, tell me who the starting five is and let me know if they're going to make the playoffs. Sixers fans are the are the uh, record collectors of NBA fans. They are obsessive and they are passionate. I was at a Brooklyn Nets game and there was a guy in front of me who was clearly a Sixers fan and just chanting for Rashawn Holmes to enter the game just over and over, repeatedly and furiously. And I was just like, that's interesting. You're, you really want the third string center on the Sixers and an away game against the Nets to just get on the court. Right. I was like, I don't think you're a blood relation to Rashawn, but right. that's good passion right there. And that's, and that's sort of the kind of fan we're talking about. Okay. So in February, you were contacted. This source uh, claims to have put together this case in which he suggests that he has evidence that, that points towards Brian Colangelo operating multiple Twitter accounts. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that he is operating Philo one two three four five six seven, which the Sixers, which Brian Colangelo has confirmed is his Twitter account, and that Philo one two three four five six seven shares Twitter behaviors, following patterns, etc., with these other accounts that are all also sharing like Twitter behavior with one another, and that. If you look at the Venn diagram of what these Twitter accounts do, whether it's defending Colangelo in public, following a Twitter account associated with a man who, at least at one point, was Colangelo's agent, Warren Legary, seems to have a, a deep interest in the University of Chicago basketball program where Brian Colangelo's son plays, and several other really, really specific details, you start to get this picture. Um, and the Sixers 
we went to the Sixers last week, Ben, and and I think what what's important to know is that we've sort of been working on this story for a while, but we we were working towards was getting our ducks in a row so that we could approach the Sixers, correct? Yeah, I think that's a, a good way of of phrasing it. You know, we had these five accounts and and we looked through them and they're different names and they were connected in ways that you mentioned, but they were also distinct in, in when they began and, and when they finished and the kind of details that were divulged or discussed. And you could say that the older ones, there were more, more threads, you know, to certain people and the newer ones perhaps were more cautious mm-hmm. it just as a, as a way of describing the behavior online. So I think when you had the first two and we approached the team with those, I was, I was more comfortable asking them about those. And when you say those first two, you're talking about Philo, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and you're talking about Eric Jr., correct? And, and Eric, an Eric Jr. account, right. Yeah. So, so I went to the team and I asked about those accounts and then they came back to me and they're like, yeah, you know, it's, it's not Eric Jr. And then they were like, Villa one two three four five six. Yes, that is him. He operates that account, and mm-hmm. that is echoed by the statement that they gave to the um, the ringer that was published in the story yesterday. Yeah. And then after that occurred, I was watching those accounts, the other three that I had not mentioned. The other three being enough uncone sources, which is unknown spelled wrong, honest Abe, and still balling. And you were watching activity on those three accounts, and what happened? I yeah, I was just sitting there and I was refreshing them. And, you know, every few minutes, and then I saw Steel Balling go down, and it went to private. Then a few minutes later, I checked back, and I saw Honest Abe go down, and enough cone sources also. So within, a, I would say, a 15 to 20-minute period, at least while I was watching, they went down. And that was the exact same time when Brian Colangelo was notified by the Sixers representative. We were told that Brian Colangelo was notified and that's when the Sixers initially confirmed that Philo 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 belonged to Brian Colangelo. And this is last Tuesday. This is May 22nd. Yeah. So, I mean, I I think that that's a distinct part of the story here is that those accounts went private at the exact same time when he was notified. And then when I asked the Sixers representative if he had spoken to anyone else, he said no. Right. And why did you ask the Sixers representative that? Just so people understand. I wanted to make sure that he didn't broadcast it within the organization and say 20 people found out about it and then they could bring down the accounts. Once that connection was made, I, I thought the, I thought we had a really uh, interesting case to present to the people. Right. You know, draw your own conclusions from that. Right. So Ben and myself and uh, Craig Gaines and Megan Schuster and Sean Fennessy and the folks over at The Ringer, we, we worked on the story for, for about a week. Um, and we got to Tuesday, we got to yesterday, and we put together pretty much what you see on the website now. And then we went to the Sixers during the day yesterday and talked, and, and you went back to the Sixers. And what did you tell them yesterday? Yesterday, I told them more or less what I just explained, that we had two accounts, but now it was about five. I explained their behaviors. I gave them uh, a number of screenshots of the kind of material that these accounts had been broadcasting. And um, I think I gave examples from all, all four or five of them. And uh, 
because three of them had now been turned private, so right. they couldn't view them if they just tried to. And then we asked for a statement, and we waited. Yes, yes, and we, we did. waited a little longer, <laughs> and then we waited some more, and then we got the statement that says acknowledging that the the Phila account is indeed Brian Colangelo's and disavowing the other five. And I I don't want to miss misstate their their verbiage. No, I can but I can actually. What they said was that. I'll just read the oh, Colangelo yeah, read statement. Yeah. Uh, like many of my, this is Brian Colangelo's statement to the ringer. Like many of my colleagues in sports, I have used social media as a means to keep up with the news. While I have never posted anything whatsoever on social media, I have used the at Philo123456767 Twitter account referenced in this story to monitor our industry and other current events. This storyline is disturbing to me on many levels as I am not familiar with any of the accounts that have been brought to my attention, nor do I know who is behind them or what their motives may be in using them. And that's the end of the statement. Um, so let's take it from there. We published the story last night. Obviously, <laughs> it became um, something of a sensation. Uh, multiple, I mean, pretty much anybody who spends any time on NBA Twitter was talking about it. You also had um, Joel Embiid uh, participating in the discourse uh, in his inimitable way with memes, with jokes, with uh, with roasts, and eventually with a, I would say, a, a carefully worded apology at the end of the evening, or more or less just saying like... <laughs> Fun night on Twitter. We'll see where this goes. Um, and the story sort of took on a life of its own. And now it's being pursued by obviously other media outlets looking at different angles within the story. I guess I wanted to ask you, Ben, what do you think is the most interesting and, and worth and notable piece of evidence within the, the story that you presented? Um, before I answer that, I just wanted to say one thing about this story that I really like is that we took it very seriously and and did the the diligent work and the background on it. But it is funny, and I really enjoy that element of this. It is it is funny. It involves people's lives, and it should be taken seriously. But you have things about collars. There is you have memes. You have basketball players. It's not like other scandals, and that have really gruesome and horrible elements. Like this is. There's bad stuff, but it's also a funny basketball scandal. And I think that's what I've kind of enjoyed about it. As far as your question goes, I think the most compelling evidence outside of the fact that the accounts went down when I contacted the team and then they deleted 37 accounts from the still balling account that linked back to Colangelo or the other accounts that they had acknowledged outside of that sort of potential cover up of information. When I look back at the story and the the contents of it and what we found during the investigation, I think the tweet from one of the accounts that describes being blinded by the Delaware 87's jerseys being posted on the same day and time that Brian Colangelo was there and then having them right next to each other in the story, I, I felt like that was a strong, a strong and significant piece of the story when you when you look at it and you realize like that's tough long odds is like is what i'm saying here yeah to have those things occur randomly i think that uh the this story presents a lot of on their taken alone strange coincidences that then pile up into something much greater than that and that's sort of one of the most fascinating parts about 
this story. It's a story that I feel like only could happen in 2018 in some ways. We talked about that at, towards the end of the story, but it's it's such a strange scenario. No matter wh- how which way it breaks from now on, the idea that these multiple accounts seemingly having inside information that very few people could know about players, players' health, players' training routines, uh, players' social lives, and these, you know, like you mentioned the fun part, but these amazing sartorial defenses. uh, It's just such an incredible (laughs) accumulation of information. And you start to look at these tweets forever, which we kind of have been, and you start to hear the same voice in your head. The the patterns of language start to feel together. I mean, they, they meld together and you start to hear this voice. And you almost imagine someone using these accounts. <laughs> Dude, I kind of went insane. <laughs> Just the fact that I have read every single one of these tweets. I've read, I've looked at all their retweets. I've looked at all their likes on all of these accounts. And I, I feel the exact same way. All of a sudden, it just becomes this bitter, chirping, griping voice in the back of your head that's like just yapping about this kind of stuff. And it kind of goes back to the fact that I know I had blocked or at least uh, muted one of those accounts. And I know that other Sixers writers have told me that they had muted some of those accounts as well. Right. Or even maybe blocked them. But it's like this just harping voice all the time when you read through them and you're really going down this weird, you know, wormhole kind of into someone's brain and their their id and it's a very weird experience and very oddly intimate we'll be back with ben dietrich after a quick word from our sponsor today's ringer nba show is brought to you by the ringer podcast network i just wanted to tell you a little bit about a few of our shows that we've got going on on the ringer podcast network if you're interested in sports and media uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you must be. I would recommend that you check out The Press Box on Channel 33 with Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker. They talk about the week's news and national affairs, but specifically through the lens of how we're hearing about these stories, how we're reading about these stories, how we're seeing them on our televisions, how we're listening to them on podcasts. It's a, it's a media-centric view uh, at the world today, and I can't recommend it more highly. That's the press box on channel 33 subscribe to channel 33 to get the press box obviously the ringer nba show is typically talking about the nba finals and the nba draft we've been going whole hog during this playoffs you can listen to heat check on sunday nights you can listen to koc and chris vernon uh sources say group chat will be on thursday night for the nba finals game one and obviously draft class on fridays to get you ready for the upcoming nba draft so without further ado let's get back to the ringer nba show with ben dietrich so i want to talk as we round this out a little bit about some of the players who are mentioned in the piece obviously uh jaleel okafor is one and okafor was always sort of Surplus to requirements once uh, Joel Embiid started to really click. And one of the things that has always been, an, it was always an issue for Colangelo early on in his in his tenure with the Sixers was what to do about Okafor, this sort of third big man uh, that the Sixers had, uh, the number three pick overall out of Duke. And it was expected that, that Okafor was going to be moved almost a year and a half before he actually was moved in February of 2018 um, at at the trade deadline. Well, actually, I think the first time we thought he was going to be traded was even his rookie year at the deadline in 2016. Right. And then we really thought he was going to get traded at the deadline in 2017. 
And by that time, Colangelo was running the Sixers. And yes. to your point, there clearly wasn't enough room to have all these guys on the team. Right. And I believe it was a few days before the deadline, but Jaleel Okafor was pulled out of the lineup and left in Philly. I believe the Sixers went on to play a, a road game in Miami and maybe one in Boston. Yeah, and this but is the deadline it, in 2017. But, you know, those are the kind of things that don't really happen. When guys get pulled out, they get traded. Yeah. Instead, he was pulled out for several games and then went back to the team. And there are only so many conclusions you can draw from that, that the negotiations fell apart. But why would you pull a guy out of games while negotiating? I just mean, it, it's an, it was an interesting and very unique situation. And there was a huge uptick in criticism of Colangelo and simultaneously activity from these accounts. And they really right. went out there and they repeatedly said and pushed over and over and over to members of the media. That Sixers beat writers, yeah. It was a full-fledged campaign to basically make the point that Jaleel Okafor is being protected by the team and it was not the Sixers' front office's fault that he had not been traded. And that Okafor, that these accounts repeatedly ask members of the Sixers media to ask Okafor yes. about a failed physical. It was, it was uh, about asking Okafor if he had failed a physical. It was about inquiring with the Sixers to set up interviews in order to ask these questions like that. It was, it was really trying to persuade them to write a specific story and to ask Okafor about potentially failing a physical. Right. One of the stories of this Sixers season this season was the uh, handling of the Markel Fultz situation. Markel Fultz, number one draft pick, point guard out of Washington. The Sixers traded with Boston to move up to select him at number one. And Fultz barely played this season. Played a few games towards the end of the season. Played uh, uh, one or two games in the Miami series. In the, uh, and just really um, was not a part of the Sixers season. And that has also been something that Colangelo has been criticized for is his handling of the Fultz situation. What did you learn about that by looking at the accounts? I totally agree with you. There was an uptick in activity from the accounts that coincided with a period where Colangelo was getting lambasted. And he made the trade that sent Jason Tatum and a future first-round pick to the Celtics so late in the season, with Fultz out and Jason Tatum playing great, there was, there's been a lot of heat on him at that point. So the accounts coinciding with this, they discuss a lot about Fultz. And they, they maintain that it is all mental. That's what the accounts are saying. They, there's nothing wrong with his shoulder. They, they do not say that at all. Yeah, it mm -hmm. is only mental. They blame it on his relationship with his, his trainer. They blame it on messing up his jump shot. And then ultimately they blame it on him. And mm -hmm. there are times when they say he should be playing and he's not, it's up to him. He was going to play, but he got scared. They're, I mean, to paraphrase, they are, they sure. basically say one time, like grow a pair and they lay it all on him and none of it on like the front office. Okay. And now let's take it from where, what that's what we know. That's what the story says. That's where we've gotten to this point. It's, Wednesday afternoon, the Sixers this morning announced that they would be conducting an internal investigation uh, into these accounts, into this whole story. Where do you think we go from here? I'm not really sure what their internal investigation <laughs> entails. I, I have no idea. I don't think it's necessarily something that's going to over, that's going to discover who, who created these accounts. 
That, that would be my, my feeling. Going forward, I think what's really interesting is that the internet is this, this wild, wonderful place. It does a lot of work for you. And I think that's what's been really fascinating after working on this, you know, with you, with a few people, but in a very cloistered environment, seeing all these people interested in the story and exchanging theories and people texting me, I think this is happening or that's happening or digging things up and putting them up on Instagram and stuff. It's really, it's very exuberating. Yeah, it's it's a, a, I'm, I'm exuberant. It's your exuberant. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's one of those really uniquely modern stories. We'll be following it wherever it goes. I want to say thank you so much to Ben Dietrich, uh, who, you know, I think I've been waiting my entire career to see a story like this come across uh, my inbox. So thanks to Ben. Thanks to everybody who works at The Ringer who worked on the story. And we will, uh, I'm sure, be talking about it more in the future. Thanks, Ben. Oh, thank you, man. And I uh, appreciate the help from you and everyone at The Ringer, of course. Thanks, brother. Later. 